Last week in our message series, we talked about being a James 2 kind of church, a church which uh, jumps in, gets messy uh, in the midst of changing lives, of actually uh, living out what it is that we say uh, we are supposed to do and who we are as a church. And let me say, uh, last weekend, you all did not disappoint. As we were um, trying to get supplies together to continue to go down to Cypress Lake United Methodist Church in Fort Myers, um, what you all did was absolutely amazing. Uh, throughout last week, we have sent uh, four or five trucks um, over down there with supplies, water, diapers, food. Um, you all have just done an amazing job uh, in, in the midst of the hurricane that has impacted all of us in one way or another. But just to say, this is who we are as a church. This is what we do. And we continue to be so grateful for the ministry that you are providing for people that you may never see, but their lives are changed and made for the better um, because of how you are responding to what it means to be the kind of church that actually goes and does what it says it does. It reminds me, part of our Wesleyan roots is John Wesley's saying um, that we're to do all the good that we can, right? Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. In other words, welcome all. Welcome them. And not just coming through the door, we're so happy that you're here, but also welcome in that uh, radical hospitality kind of ministry. I think what Wesley would say, welcome all the people you can, which is why for us, this is a firm foundation of our faith. The letter of 1 Peter chapter 4 puts it this way. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he will get all the credit as the one mighty in everything. Encores to the end of time. Oh, yes. Welcoming all. Bringing people in. When I think of this idea of welcoming, like what does that really mean? What does it mean to open the doors wide and let everyone in? I think of like, you know, a whale shark. Now, not eating people, but this idea that, you know, you just open up and you let it all come in. And, uh, you know, a whale shark has a filtering process, you know, filtering the stuff that the whale shark doesn't need. And maybe sometimes we wish that we could do that. Um, But we don't really get to decide who we filter out as we're welcoming everyone in, right? We may say that as a church, you know, we're a welcoming church, but we may wish in our minds, in our hearts silently that we could kind of filter out certain people. But the church doesn't work that way, at least not the kind of church that Jesus talks about or that Peter is writing about, because do we really know what we're saying when we say we welcome all people? When we are to take everyone in and and all their idiosyncrasies and quibbles and, you know, quirks and, uh, you know, celebrations and challenges and baggages and victories, I mean, Do we really know what we mean when we say we welcome all? And 
really, how can we? When I was uh, in college, I didn't go to church for two years. And when I finally did, I went to a First United Methodist Church in my college town, and um, it was big. I mean, not as big as First Lakeland, but big enough that it scared me off. And uh, finally, my parents, you know, kept encouraging me and encouraging me. And so finally, I decided to go and I went to their 11 o'clock service, which I'm not sure why I did that, because that's their biggest service of all. But it was in the sanctuary. Their sanctuary was kind of cool. And as I was sitting in in a pew, uh, the uh, person in front of me turns around. And he says, hi, my name is Ken. I said, hi, my name is Andy. He said, I've never seen you before. Tell him a little bit about myself. He said, well, so glad that you were here. And every so often he would turn around and he said, okay, we're going to be, we're about to do this. And at the end he said, um, hey, I'm, we're taking some people to Free State. Why don't you come and join us? Free State is like the Lakeland version of Cobb and Penn. So to a college student with no money, um, that was a pretty cool thing. So of course I went and it, it was great. I mean, it was nothing big. You know, we just sat in a large table and we had lunch, but I felt a lot better going back the next week and the week after that and the week after that. And finally, Ken became kind of my surrogate grandfather, or at least my church grandfather. Um, I learned a lot about what it means to be United Methodist because of Ken. I probably asked him way more questions than I should have. I probably called him a lot more than I should have. But when he welcomed me, those doors were open and I probably went in. Uh, I went through a lot more than maybe I should have. But he never said anything. He never said, hey, you know, that's too much or stop calling me or, you know, too many questions. He just he welcomed me where I was. And then had he not done that, I might not be standing here as your pastor today. That's what it means to welcome all. Someone once said the church is like granola. It is full of fruits and nuts and flakes. And thinking back on my past, I, I check all of those boxes. I've been nutty. I've been fruity. I've been flaky, uh, even in the last week. But that's what it means to be a church. That's what it means to receive and to love people in the name of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ was all about going in the midst of the granola, because that's where the holiness happens. Why does our church need uh, to be a community? Why does our faith need to be communal, not just personal? Now, it is important for us to have a personal faith. Um, but at the same time, we can't just stay personal. We can't just stay individualistic about our spiritual journey, about our belief in Jesus Christ. We do need it for ourselves. We need to know what does it mean to, to read the Bible for ourselves in the midst of our own presence? What does it mean to pray silently and personally? What does it mean to come to places of worship so that we personally can be fed and nourished and refreshed? We call those works of mercy in the United Methodist Church. There are practices that we are a part of as an individual to keep us firmly grounded in that foundational faith. But our United Methodist tradition also tells us that we are to do this communally as works of mercy, that we participate in these practices, not just the spiritual practices, but also the social practices of helping one another, of serving in the community, of being that representation of Jesus Christ out in the world. And in those moments when we feel alone, we are reminded 
that we are not. This is what it means to come together in our individualities and become something greater than we never could on our own. Which is what we call the church. Robert Putnam, in his book, Bowling Alone, documents what he calls the collapse of American community. He shows how we as Americans have become increasingly disconnected from one another, which is kind of understandable. If you think about how everything becomes more and more contextualized to us as an individual, I don't know about you, but it is a chore to watch TV Because there are so many different options and there are so many things that are tailored to my specific taste. No matter how weird or specific they are, there's probably going to be something that I would like to watch. So much so that I'm not even sure what to watch anymore. And even if I watch it, I'm not sure that anybody else is, so I can't talk to anyone about it. My list might be completely different from yours And while individually that's great, what does that do to us as a community? And that's just something as inane as watching TV. But the more we become technologically advanced, the more individualistic everything becomes because everything is so personalized for me. But how do I share that with you? We move away from home. We find our own specialized, individualized tribe we participate in the smorgasbord of life where everything is tailored for us and how do we balance those individual preferences that we need at times but also remain connected i saw it last week in many ways you know we we lifted up hurricane response which has been fantastic but i also saw it in our youth group uh, last sunday night Now, because I I typically have other things going on Sunday night, I'm not always able to participate in a full uh, youth group. Last week, I was. And and I have to tell you, it was the most fun I've had in years. I mean, the energy level was ridiculous. I ended up swimming. I, I was swimming on the concrete of our parking lot. Thank you, Shelby. Not really. My voice was hoarse, but I, it was it was the most fun I had seen. And, you know, afterwards we went inside and we had worship and people were gathered together. And, and I saw youth checking on each other and there were new faces, faces that I had never seen before. We're just kicking off these small group classes that all of us uh, are leading. And so, you know, youth signed up for different ones. And uh, when I looked at my list, there were at least half a dozen names uh, that I didn't recognize because they were brand new. And they were being welcomed. And I know it can be hard to welcome new folks into our groups because that means that the dynamic is going to change. It means the environment is going to change. It means that things that maybe I personally have gotten so used to and maybe even depended on, depending on that ritual, is going to change because now it is growing. But that is part of the challenge. It is part of the challenge. If we're going to say that we are a welcoming church, then we also have to say that we are welcoming change. We are welcoming being personally and communally transformed so that others may know the love of Jesus Christ.
This is part of what Jesus says in Matthew 25 or what he's referring to when he calls us to go out and to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those who are sick and in prison. Not just the physical act of helping them, but in the midst of that, connecting with them and welcoming them into the community, the body of Christ, and all that they represent, all of who they are, knowing that that is going to, at some level, change us too. Our director of newcomer ministries, Diana Russell, is brilliant at practicing this. She's the director of newcomer ministries, hospitality ministries, fellowship ministries, anything where we are coming together and and having fun or, you know, participating in, in ministry. She's usually behind the scenes making that happen. But again, not just to perpetuate the culture and the tradition of our church now, but also helping us to discover what that new culture is when we are bringing new people in or when we are becoming a part of their world. It could be very easy to say, you know what, just come in and be exactly like us. But she reminds us over and over again how it is that if we're going to be doing outreach with the community, it means that our community here at the church is going to be personally impacted by that. And so as we've talked about culture, this culture over the years, um, You know, we've tried to train up all in the church to be a part of this. But as we are especially recruiting people to be in the invite ministry, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I don't want to be too invitational. You know, I don't I don't want to scare people off. I don't want to, you know, be ringing a bell on the side of the street. And and one time someone says, well, I I don't want to intrude in people's lives. And Diana said, sometimes people need you to intrude. They're asking you to intrude. They're asking you to see past this facade that says, I don't need anything. And what they're really saying is, I need to be seen. I need to be heard. I need to be recognized. I need to know that I am loved. Jesus was all about intruding. Poet Langston Hughes puts it this way in his writing, I Dream a World. This is actually being sung over in the other service. He writes, I dream a world where man, no other man will scorn, where love will bless the earth and peace its paths adorn. I dream a world where all will know sweet freedom's way, where greed no longer saps the soul, nor avarice blights our day. A world I dream where black or white Whatever race you be will share the bounties of the earth. Everyone is free. Where wretchedness will hang its head and joy, like a pearl, attends the needs of all humankind. Of such I dream my world. We should welcome all people, many churches say. And I've heard this from our church again and again, we should welcome all people, even though we, we know and we have even said out loud, we do not agree on everything in terms of ideology, even theology. But what I do hear in the midst of those conversations, even in conversations I have with you all where we disagree, where we do agree, 99.9% of my experience here is we should still welcome all people. That doesn't mean that we don't have room to grow. For example, there is a difference between being a welcoming church and being an affirming church. Just to be able to say we welcome all people, but we also acknowledge that there are some conditions that come with that. 
What does it mean for maybe some of those conditions to be examined so that we get closer to being affirming, not just welcoming? And that's hard. It always has been hard. It always will be hard. And it's uncomfortable and it's distressing and it makes us question sometimes. And in the midst of that, we are still trying to help as many people as we can, whether it's the devastation of a hurricane or a community shooting or people just striving to make one more day. We continue to be the church. In the movie Starman, this alien comes to Earth taking human form. And we find out that this alien is actually an anthropologist. It is someone who is studying humanity. And the scientist who knows that the alien is here and has been tracking him finally meets him and they discuss what it is that he is doing here on earth. And he says, shall I tell you what I find most beautiful about your species? You are at your best when things are worst. That is what people need us to be as the church. We need to be at our best when things are worse, because when people are in the worst parts of their life, they need to be reminded that they, too, are a child of God. Yes, they are. Things may feel like they're getting pretty bad. We may feel as though we are becoming more divided. Um, it seems as though we are striving more and more to care for ourselves or our loved ones, maybe because of feelings of scarcity, not necessarily because we don't like each other, but there's only so much to go around and we have to be able to sh- make sure that we have enough, even at the expense of others. We may drift more and more separately from our neighbors. Our planet continues to con- uh, succumb to flooding other natural disasters and while at the same time our technology continues to advance um, exponentially faster and faster and faster so that things are more and more personal and individualized for ourselves some scientists have a theory that the reason we've not discovered alien life or that we've not discovered life elsewhere is because that most civilizations become so technologically advanced that they destroy themselves before they have a chance to branch out to other worlds. Are we almost there? Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it, because it does. Now, we are not a church that says every other week, this is the end times, so be ready. But we are a church that acknowledges that the kingdom of God is right here, right now, that Jesus incarnate is still a reality. And that is what our life depends upon. It's like in the movie Wally, when uh, the people who have been uh, comforted for so long are just kind of these jello blobs just floating from one entertainment to the other. And finally, one discovers the truth and the artificial intelligence that's been pampering them forever says, well, you know, you have to follow me to survive. And he says, I don't want to survive. I want to live. When Jesus talks about eternal life, it is not just a hereafter kind of life that we wait for and that we're rewarded if we do the right things or saying the right things. He's saying eternal life exists right now. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The question asks. Jesus says, love God and love neighbor. 
welcome your neighbor. Do this and you will live. If you would like to join us in about 10 minutes, we're going to be meeting out by the Peace Pole. Uh, we dedicated that a while back, but now we're going to be offering a blessing. It is over on the corner uh, next to the flagpole and our swan statue. It is a way for us to remind the community that people are welcome in all languages. So if you would like to be a part of that holy moment where it is consecrated and blessed, Pastor Nikki will be leading that. Uh, but also just going out as a consecrated people, consecrating others. I have never been a part of a communion service where we have run out of elements. There's always enough for everyone who comes to the table. But that is not just the physical elements. It is also us as God's people, children of God. So let us go and welcome all, not just into the church, but to be part of the church, the body of Christ. And as we welcome, may we do so in peace and in love. Amen.